welcome back for to We Are These Guys Now. This is a very special episode. This is our very first episode with a guest. So you're not just going to be hearing the back and forth ramblings of We Are These Guys Now. We have our very special guest, uh, Tequasia. T, if you don't mind introducing yourself so our guests can get to know you a little bit more before we introduce them to the topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Tequasia. Uh, I go by T for short. So if you hear them calling me T, that's why. <laughs> um, I studied criminal justice and criminology in undergrad. So um, I'm really excited to be here and just talk about some of the things that I know as far as my studies and just have a conversation with you guys. Thank you so much. It was, you know, I've been following Tequasia for a bit. She posts a lot of great information, a lot of uh, fact-based statistics and just stuff that, you know, lets you really expand your mind and think. Today's topic is going to be focused on Black Lives Matter, um, moments versus movement. So the idea that, you know, what are, what are we doing to actually incite and make change, not only in our daily lives, you know, in our little pockets of society, but as a whole, what are things that we can do? What are things that we are doing to actually make, you know, make some ways, make some movements and not just, you know, beat a dead horse and, you know, bring up the same things over and over and over again. So, uh, you know, if T, if you really want to start, you, you know, we had a little discussion before we actually started recording. You mm-hmm. want to you know, bring up some of the points that you made earlier, I think that'd be a great point to start the conversation. What do you think the difference is between, you know, moments and movements? Yeah, so with the moments we had talked about how people are, were posting like pictures or memes and stuff and like even videos on like TikTok and like it would be like, oh, do you want to learn how to do this? And then it would be like arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor, you know? And at first, it was a really cool thing to, like, get the message out. But I was saying how the more that those things are used, the more desensitized they become. And when we see them, it's like, yeah, it's the message that's getting out. But where's the real action behind it, you know? And it's almost as if when you see it, it's just like another post that you see. You don't really feel the need to, like, go out and make this change or find out how you can and you know do this and so I feel like after a while it's just something that becomes a moment because you're not really you know providing those resources for people to whether it's make peti- or sign petitions or go out and contact the governor and stuff like that or the attorney general you know to prosecute these cops and stuff and so that's what I felt like with the whole um, moment aspect of it. As far as like the movement, I really liked how you guys had brought up the um, professional sports teams and the NBA specifically, really taking this on. And like, I, I've been watching the playoffs um, since it started. And, you know, every commercial break, it's a social justice you know, um, commercial, just bringing awareness, you know, their jerseys, they have the slogans, they have the shirts that they wear before games. Each player takes the time to make sure that they're, you know, sending their message out after when they're being interviewed and stuff like that. But like, 
the whole boycotting was a big thing. I think that we weren't really, not that we were surprised of it because I feel like the NBA is very progressive and the way that they choose to interact with social justice issues. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like not really surprising, but it was just really cool to see them really take that on. And like how you guys were saying some like the Lakers, they, you know, or the Dodgers, even they have their um, arenas and their ballparks, you know, they've made it into polling stations because it's, you know, people are trying to do whatever they can to limit, our voting abilities, you know? And so by these teams really stepping in and doing that, that's definitely a movement. Oh yeah, no, completely agree. You know, just to hit on some of the points that you brought up uh, for the moments, it's really nice to have all this attention being brought to these different topics and subjects with the videos and the photos, but it was just the same message all, all every single time. There was no links, there was no yep. actual information that was being shared to say you know yes arrest the cops who you know killed brianna taylor but you know how do i do that i i agree that this is something that should be done but you know just as a consumer of social media i'm scrolling through and i'm seeing this right nobody's telling me how to do it and in all honesty social media is not made to provoke research it's to provoke Mm -mm. immediate emotion and you know to be able to see stuff see the highlights and lowlights of you know society but it's not my it's not anybody's duty to then dive into it and look it up if you want to bring attention to something you know just like you were saying you got to follow it up with those petitions the links mm-hmm. for petitions the information for fundraisers where to go vote you know the yep. polling stations was ginormous regardless of who they might want other people to vote for it's yep. just better to provide that opportunity for so exactly. many more people to have their voices heard because I, I forgot what the number is, but it's some crazy statistic. Like, every other person doesn't vote. Every other person oh, wow. who, like, is able to vote just doesn't because yeah. of the notion it like, that... It was north of 50% didn't vote in the 2016 election. Yeah, that's wow. insane. 56, close to 60%, yeah. That's insane. That means 40% of people decided who our president would be, but 100% of people would complain, which right. doesn't make any sense. Right. And so, you know, whether it was because they couldn't get to a polling station or they chose not to, which is just as bad, you know, either way, there, there's, there's, a, there's a disconnect between society and the elected powers that be that we're, we may not be all choosing who is leading this country. Yep. And so it's a, great op- it's a great thing to see the NBA using their platform to push that narrative. It was so crazy to me, though, to see the Bucks just decide yeah. I'm not playing this game yeah, as a unit yeah as a right. whole unit and I was I was telling Ben as the magic could have walked onto that court and won game five yeah yeah they, they technically they forfeited could, yes oh no yeah they they definitely you know by boycotting that game they forfeited their game the magic could have walked on made it a three to two series completely different from three to one. Oh yeah and it, that, that would have been huge. It would have probably been just as big of news that they boycotted and lost game five. But instead, the rest of the NBA followed in their in their uh, steps. It reminded me of, um, I don't know if either of you remember, the Clippers incident a couple years ago. Oh, with their owner? 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. And everybody was walking to the middle of the court, and all the Clippers were dropping their jerseys and warming up in blank shirts. Yes, I remember. In blank shirts. The NBA has been a consistent social justice just hub as far as open activism. Like, they will openly speak their minds and act in the ways that they feel. And I can do nothing but respect them. Yeah. They've been insane. Yeah, it's it's so crazy to see. And also just like it makes me feel like you said, I, it's so easy to easier to respect them because they do have that platform and as, you know, people who aren't in the light like that, we are always asking for these celebrities and these people who have these platforms to please bring these issues otherwise like to light because otherwise how are these how are people going to listen you know you have to put these this stuff in people's face otherwise it's just going to be like okay well it doesn't really affect me so i'm not going to listen you know and by them doing that it it puts that message in people's face because you know you can't watch basketball tonight because we're not going to put our lives and our bodies out there to entertain you if you can't even respect us and you know, value our lives. Yeah. So that was really awesome. No, that's a great point. The entertainment aspect of it is because it is entertainment. It really, yeah. doesn't, it, that, that's what they're, it's what they do. It's a, it's a form of expression and a way to distract us from our day-to-day life. And the fact that, you know, these, these things that are happening, which are so much bigger than sports. Mm-hmm. Cause Kenny, right. You know, the, when the bucks, I thought it was crazy that as a collect, just the players themselves, like, yeah, we're not going to play it. And they'll eat the loss. And then right. obviously the Magic could have came in and said taken the three to two, but they're obviously not going to do that. They can't come in, and that because that would be placing this game, which like you said is entertainment, above these yep. um, extremely important issues. You know, in all honesty, life or death issues in a lot of uh, instances. And so um, I want to go back and touch on your point on desensitization because I think it's a super super important point, especially in the times that we live at live in right now with social media and so um you know you know the point of when it's just constantly put in your face and there's no links there's no resources there's no call to action which is like marketing term there's no call to action actually doing anything it's just you know these memes that go viral that you see um which then get likes and i wanted to ask you what were your thoughts on the um blackout on mm-hmm. instagram that happened a while back where everyone was just posting um like their black screen which or you know like a black picture what yeah. what did you think of that so at first I was like okay this is cool because the posts that I had seen going around about it were that people were gonna like if you're gonna participate in it to post the links to things to educate like take that time to educate people um as much as you could or educate yourself and it was also like kind of going along with the whole blackout thing that they had I think like a week later where um they encouraged people of color black people to um, not participate in buying things like only if it's from a black um business owner and so at first I was like that's super cool you know I think it'll be a big thing to use social media to put information out there, you know, and I saw a lot of my followers who are mostly black people, people of color, um, you know, posting it and posting links to this petitions or I, when I posted mine, I posted um, some really cool podcasts that I had been using to educate myself. 
um, some Netflix documentaries that really helped me learn more things because even as a Black person, because we live in such a white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalistic society, these thoughts and things that we're learning are taught through them and through their lens. So when you grow up in an education system that's not really geared towards your history, you don't know those things, you know? So I had to take the time to educate myself as well because, you know, there are times where I was in the dark or I wasn't even fully knowledgeable about things. And so, you know, I tried to post things that helped me learn more about what's going on and stuff like that, or just the history of things. But there were a lot of people who just posted a black screen and did like hashtag blackout Tuesday. And it's like, what does that do? It doesn't do anything. And a lot of the times it was just, people were just doing it to fit in, you know, so that they wouldn't be called out or their businesses wouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think that was just like, it was good intention behind it, but didn't really roll out. Right. as well. <laughs> yeah. well we, we, we've talked about that a lot on the podcast all of these things which you know can become problematic like that blackout tuesday without any call to action they're rooted in something good and so when people post something like that you know it comes from a good place they're not trying to be malicious i think they're doing the right, right thing you know some might, might just be doing it to fit in and not get called out but it's rooted in something good and that causes problems when mm-hmm. you think that you're doing something good but in, in reality the outcome is not what you um, expect and that causes problems i think that's something we need to be a little bit more aware of as a society and what we're what we're doing with these uh movements and you know how we're acting on social media where everyone can see and it's you know this totally different it's a different world it's a different universe this isn't really mm-hmm. how humans are meant to uh communicate and relate to one another and, you know, we're working through it as a society. It's something completely new. And it's drastically changing, you know, our world. And you know, I, I think it's something we need to be you know, cognizant of. For yeah. sure. That's a perfect example of, you know, movement and moment, you know, just in the difference of posts. One person posting with a hashtag and no other information, you know, definitely felt like they were doing the right thing or, you know, they just wanted to. Whether, whether it was virtue signaling or not, it was just trying to, it was just like you said, Ben, it was rude and something good. But then you mm-hmm. have all these other people that are getting drowned out because they're posting the same black picture, but it has all this other information that you could be using to actually mm-hmm. find the sources. And it would have been nice if, you know, because I didn't see any of the, like, I'll be the first to admit, I didn't see any of the call to action for that post until... Mm-hmm. I just showed up on Tuesday and I saw all of the posts and I tried to look up and I said, what's going on? Like, why is, why is everybody just posting a black screen and, you know, these different hashtags Mm -hmm. then to find out that, um, you know, some of the hashtags were just getting flooded so bad that all of the good information was nowhere to be found. It was like trying to find a needle in a haystack. And so for anyone who was trying to actually post good information, they were using the same hashtags as, people who weren't posting anything at all then you just end up with nothing you end up Mm -hmm. with one person only reaching out to their fan base or you know to their followers or fan base when they could have had the opportunity to share with so many more people but that was i completely forgot about that one and then the uh the uh, blackout buying i think that was started by ti i think Mm. ti was the one who pushed that initiative so hard because that's the 
that's the person that I saw, you know, championing it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been he's been very vocal about his opinions on his podcast too. Uh, what is it? The tip, uh, Ti Harris featuring Ti Harris, but um, he is but he's very vocal about a lot of what a lot of his beliefs in as far as what change looks like moving forward, which is going to bring us into our next topic with all of the you know with with everything going on there's a lot of voices there's no real uh, you know one list of demands as of yet or any one list of ideas for what change really looks like it has flown between you know reparations and Mm -hmm. just more training in the police department in your own perspective in your mind if you had a well i guess this is ben's question mm-hmm. so i'm not going to take it away from him i love this you question. go ahead you go ahead and ask i love ask this away. question i think it's great for any kind of situation and i've asked kenny that i like to ask people so if you had a magic wand and you could you have infinite power um and obviously you have a background in criminology so you, you know kind of the system works if you have a magic wand mm-hmm. how do you fix this what does it look like where does it start where does it finish um yeah, magic wand what would you do so a lot of these issues it starts with the law um the law kind of governs our society and a lot of the things that these police officers are getting away with yes it's because our the police system and the way that we view them as a society has always been to protect them and you know that they're supposed to protect us so we need to have their backs and stuff like that but it's also because legally they can't be charged with some of the things that we want them to be charged with you know and right now I'm actually studying the law so I'm finding those things out that it's not even just their training and stuff like that there's way more to it 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 gets all the way down to the law that a lot of these times they have you know immunity they don't they don't have to go through these lawsuits because of their position with the government. You know what I mean? And so I think I would definitely change the law. And I think the way that we can do that as a society, and I know that people get tired of hearing it, but is voting, you know, that is the one thing that we're allowed to do that i mean us as a people we are the ones that control the society you know essentially that's what the founding fathers or whatever wanted it to be like we vote the people who we want to represent us into office you know what i mean and obviously there's so much corruption going on within that system as well but i think the more education we have on voting and how it impacts society and like I said, there has been, you know, things that have gone on to where people try to limit our voices and limit our abilities to vote, like having limited amount of polling stations or voting, um, excuse me, stations um, in predominantly black neighborhoods, you know what I mean? Because they don't want our voices to be heard, but we have to take action and we have to find a way if we can to make our voices heard because it's definitely deeply rooted in the law because you know our laws were made by white males and so of course they're only gonna 
be in favor of helping white males. And it sucks even more because a lot of the prison systems and felons are black people and people who these laws really affect, they can't even use their voice. They can't use their voice to vote because, or change these laws because once you're a felon, you know, your right has been taken away, which is ridiculous, but yeah. To touch on the laws, specifically what laws would you change or what laws would you um, enact enact to um, enact change, essentially? What would those laws look like? So I think one that I just actually learned this week was the that government officials essentially have immunity in some of their... Um, so like if you're an FBI agent and you get sued by... Um, like a civilian, the case that I had read was from someone who had been arrested after 9-11. He was a Muslim and um, he was trying to file a lawsuit against the government for racially profiling him. And basically they said that um, these officers or the FBI didn't have to give up their discovery, which is like evidence. They didn't have to go through the lawsuit. They didn't have to give their testimony because they're protected by the government and that their jobs are protected by the government. And I know that the FBI has very secretive types of missions that they do to protect us. But when it comes to things such as like social and human rights (laughs) i feel like that's one thing that i would like to change is the fact that government officials should still be held responsible when they do something wrong you know yes yeah there's a there's a term for that it's like something quantified something immunity but yeah yeah qualified immunity qualified immunity that's what it is Yeah. yeah through the police unions and and other things uh you know to protect police officers but um I think it's a great starting point. Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's just ridiculous that somebody can, you, you can mess up in any other part of life and you're going to have to be held to the consequences of messing up, whether that was intentional or not. Mm-hmm. And these officials at the lowest level being police officers and at the highest level being, you know, actual government, you know, FBI, yeah, whatever James Bond type people they got running around <laughs> here are just able to, you know, just like, I mean, and it's simple, like, yes, you thought that you were doing the right thing. I wholeheartedly believe that these people have the intentions in their mind to do the right thing. I'm mm-hmm. not going to, you know, sit here and say that cops are running around out here intentionally, like, in their mind, oh, I'm going to kill somebody today, and they're going to record it, and they're going to put it on Facebook. No, mm-hmm. I don't believe that any of them are actually out there doing that. But when something like that does happen... You, it shouldn't it shouldn't come down to well I mean we ran an internal investigation looks like he was doing his job he's fine right no you you really can't I think Chris Rock put it best like when when he compared it to uh, pilots if mm-hmm. American Airlines had just like a bunch of pilots recorded crashing planes like you know mm-hmm. some of our pilots like to land. Like some of them like to land, some of them don't. And, we got know, some bad apples. We got some bad yeah. apples. Most of them are totally fine. Like 90, 99% have... of our pilots are totally fine. There are some jobs where you can't have bad apples. And if you do, exactly. you've got to pick them out and get rid of them. Like that's, that's just how it works. It's, it, you can't have, you can't just say you got a couple bad cops. 
Because if they're exactly. if they are bad cops, you have to hold them accountable. If you have a couple of bad agents, you got to hold them accountable. <laughs> that that's such a great start. That immunity wow. is up, yeah. problematic. It's to say the least. Yeah, it's arguably one of the most important jobs that we have in our society. Um, and the example that I gave was um, if I was at work and I went up to my coworker and I just choked him out and killed them, and my other coworker recorded it and put it on Facebook, there is a 0% chance that I'm going home to my bed that night. Right. Or if you do, I'm going down to up, like, I'm, I'm going to downtown Phoenix. I'm getting thrown in a jail cell, especially when it's recorded and it, everyone's seen it. You know, specifically with the George Floyd incident, everyone's seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, when that happened, I was like, I don't understand how he, you haven't at least arrested him or brought him in for questioning or or, or anything else. When everyone's seen it, I mean, it's right there. I get it. They, they need to be super specific and they need to be super thorough because, you know, one false step and he can get off like on a technicality, which is, you know, something that we could, you know, address mm-hmm. and that that's a, that's problematic that they can, you know, find this. If they, he doesn't get read his Miranda rights and all these other things. You know, he can he can essentially walk free. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no possible way that I'm s- staying the rest of my shift at work and then going home and like, you know, going to bed and then five days later being still free there's a zero percent chance and i think you know when something as egregious and atrocious as that was happens you know it needs to happen faster especially when the evidence is is right there exactly yeah i think that also like police officers have discretion you know and that's a big thing is it's like yeah it's like oh well we can't really you know, tell them to do this or do that because it's their discretion. It's their discretion. And it's like, we as human beings, a lot of times don't choose the right things. You know what I mean? And so these police officers are everyday human beings like we are. Mm-hmm. And the training that they go through is only like six months. Like, there's no way you can learn how to choose the right path or, you know, do the right thing in six months. And because most of their training is just how to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's counterproductive because it's like their job is to protect society, not to protect themselves. And obviously, yes, you do want to know ways to protect yourself because it is a dangerous job, Mm -hmm. but that shouldn't be the, you know, main source of education that you're learning in the police academy. It should be how to protect society. So I just think, you know, obviously we all know that's one thing that has to change within police um, trainings is just how they're trained and their, like, vetting process because they're not really good at vetting, you know, who can make these decisions when they're under pressure because I know, I know that as a police officer, it can be hard when you're in a scary situation. Like, you know, as someone who's very empathetic, I try to put myself in everyone's shoes you know like okay if I was a police officer I would probably be scared yeah but I wouldn't sit there and deliberately kill someone you know like if I needed to maybe if they were going crazy or whatever and I needed them to stop you know there's other ways that you can get them to stop um instead of just resulting to killing them or you know using deadly force like it's just not reasonable at all yeah, well, you, you actually answered my next question. The next question was going to be, what would you do uh, specifically on the police force side when it comes to training and other things? What would you do? Right. And you actually answered it. That's awesome. Um, you know, I think that's a fantastic book because it's an unbelievably hard job. 
extremely and i think you know your point about empathy you know putting yourself in that situation you know a lot of people don't do that a lot of people think um on, on technically both sides if they think oh i'm white and i'm not racist that means there's no racist and then on the other yeah. side like they're like well i would never do anything bad that would require police so we don't need police at all you know right. they, their perspective they uh expand that out to everyone's perspective which is false um so specifically with the police training, because you said, you know, more training, better vetting process, I guess, how would you do that? Um, I guess, you know, through legislation, through laws, would you uh, restructure training? Would you um, um, would you restructure the hiring process? Like, what would you do specifically um, to improve and, and make sure that we have the best possible people in this extremely important job? Um, I guess, yeah, what would you do with the funding? What would you do with the training? I mean, what, what, is, what would be start your, out, like, again, at ma- what level? Magic wand again, but specifically for <laughs> the police force, what would you do? Yeah, so I think I would definitely change the hiring process, um, make it a little bit longer, as this job is really serious. I have a few family members who are firefighters, and their hiring process is a long time. You know, they have to go through physical training. They have to... Um, you know, they sit in stimulations and stuff like that. And, you know, they're graded on how they react to things, how they handle things. And I feel like with police officers, the way that they're hired is like you send in a resume, as long as you're over 18 um, and never like been in trouble, like basically you can get through, you know, you take like a polygraph test and then you are off to academy, you know, and that's only for six months. So I just feel like with the hiring process, they need to put these people in some type of, and I don't know, not a um, like psychology major, anything like that, but I, they need to do some type of psychology test or some type of simulation to see like, how are these people reacting, you know, and not really telling them, oh, you know, we're, we're testing you to see if you can, you know, do this job well or whatever, but just, you know, say like, oh, we need you to, you know, act like you're a police officer. What would you do in this situation? You know what I mean? Just to see like, okay, is this person really going with the ideals of, oh, I need to use deadly force or, you know, this person's more dangerous because they're black or because they look homeless or things like that, you know, like really judgy. And if that's the case, then, you know, they need to set that person down and let them know that, you know what, we have decided not to, you know, go through with this just because these are some of the things that we notice. And if you would like to continue or be a police officer, like you need to work on these things, you know, and give them the resources to where they can work on those things. And also like within the training, I think there just needs to be more training around not being judgmental or biased you know like I've seen I I used to work with um this organization that does like motivational interviewing and it worked with some of the officers in prisons and stuff like that and the way that the officers would address prisoners and it was like that they were lower than them and it would close off officer or the prisoners and so of course they're not going to want to listen to you or they're going to combat you because anyone in that situation if you have someone that's over you telling you what to do or just like not really wanting to listen to you why would you listen to them and why would you give them respect you know so I feel like there needs to be more sensitivity training and you know 
like we had just practiced right now of like putting ourselves in other people's shoes put yourself in a black man's shoes like they're gonna be scared when you pull them over you know they might not automatically listen to your demands because it takes a while for things to process in your brain when you're scared or when you have adrenaline you know what I mean so you just don't result to force like (laughs) there has to be other trainings on how to I guess get these situations down you know because the training that they have right now is to like to de-escalate is to like tackle them and put handcuffs on them you know there has to be other way yeah there has to be other ways of you know bringing that situation down where you're not having to do those things can we go back to the hiring process that was a phenomenal point and i've been stuck on it for the entire time identifying (laughs) somebody's biases uh, just through a simulated training and situational um, awareness that Mm -hmm. would be that would be crazy that would honestly be i don't know how it would be done that would be yeah. something that'd be extremely difficult to recreate the circumstances of a stressful situation and mm-hmm. then force somebody to make a decision in the moment on what they believe is the best choice and option. Obviously, right. if somebody knows that they're going to be tested, it's going to be very difficult to actually simulate the stress of a real right. situ- of a real like life potential life or death situation. That's what these cops are running into in, 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 you know, sometimes, not always, mm-hmm. you know, with an unarmed person, it's not really going to be life or death. So there's no, no reason to, <laughs> you know, reach for the lethal force, but right. every single officer has been trained to use that force. They, they have the abilities to use it. And so mm-hmm. they have the choice and option. Yep. It is so, that, that was so mind blowing that, because when I think about it, a firefighter, yes, you could easily set a controlled fire and instruct yep. somebody, hey, you need to get in there, rescue the you know person who's in there. It can be a dummy. It doesn't have to be a real person. Yeah. You know, and it can all be done safely. And you can see how somebody reacts to the situation and what they do to get rid of it. And then you can have also everybody else around in case things get out of, get out of control. And you yeah. can put the fire out and make sure everybody's safe. But it it is something that would need to be done. I'm having a hard time figuring out how that would even, you know, be accomplished. Yeah, it'd be that was, such yeah. A, yeah, that was be my question. It'd be a great thing to have, but oh my goodness, it'd be almost it'd be almost impossible yeah. to actually create a situation similar to what these cops are seeing so often, mm-hmm. which is why, and it's so cool because this is kind of like our first ever podcast when we were talking about uh, Black Lives Matter the first time around, and you're talking about what we would do as far as, um, you know, the training that police officers are receiving. Uh, one of the ideas that we had talked about was, um, you know, you don't see firefighters running around spraying down buildings that aren't on fire. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't happen. Like they, they don't look at a building and say, this building might catch on fire. Let's go ahead and spray it down. Yep. That, that would that'd be so problematic. You just have windows busting down, a bunch of water damage for nothing no reason or like an EMT just hopping out of their ambulance and defibrillating somebody on the side of the street (laughs) (laughs) that would be be all over the news everybody would be wondering what's going on you'd have someone just getting electrocuted for no reason and people would be freaking out or like an undercover fire truck (laughs) 
undercover like God. EMTs. Like there's there's no po- there's no reason to have all of these things. You know, yeah. it it'd be so much easier as a society if we just knew. Okay, you're a cop. You are a cop. You are easily identified as a cop. It's like a bright green car and a guy with, or a lady with a bright green vest. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this is obviously a cop. If I need help, I can go to them. Or if anything goes down, the cops are here. If that's the type of stance that they want to have and they want to be out in the world, that's perfectly fine. If somebody breaks the law around a cop, you know, that's a bold move. Congratulations, you're probably going to get caught. But it's all the undercover, like, sneaky tactics that really get me. Because what yeah. are you, like, you're just looking for trouble. Exactly. Obviously, nobody's going to break the law if they see a cop around. That's what your presence is for. Yeah. But if you're hiding your appearance to find people breaking the law, you're using everybody as a, as a means for money at that point. You're, you're exactly. not actually trying to do your job. You're just trying to find a reason to validate your existence, right. which is annoying. Well, so everyone with lethal force should just stay at the precinct until we need you. Exactly. Like, what are you doing out? Just stay at the precinct. You can't stop the crime anyway. Somebody definitely, and it's it's a really morbid thing to say. It's kind of dark. Somebody has, in my opinion, somebody has to have lethal force applied to them before lethal force should be used, unfortunately. Like, that's my, that's my opinion and perspective. If somebody is waving around a gun, like an actual gun, and, like, shooting shots at random, they're going to have to do whatever they have to do to, uh, you know, ascertain that person and right. save as many lives as possible. Yeah. Or the example we used in the first episode was the Las Vegas shooter, the person mm-hmm. who was shooting people at that music festival out of uh, the hotel in order to get rid of, in order to, you know, minimize the amount of lives that are being endangered or taken, we have to take that person out. There are situations where lethal force is needed, mm-hmm. but they, they they had no reason to use lethal force until he started taking lives. Right. And that's, I think that, at least for me, that that's my, that's my barrier that is hard for me to discuss with other people because... Unfortunately, I truly do believe that as a cop, you might have to get hit before you hit somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just is what it is. Like if yeah, if, I feel like. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> oh no, I was, I was like, I was just gonna say like, if somebody starts shooting, then yeah, you should definitely you know take them out because more lives are in danger now. Not kill them, you know. Do your best not to kill mm-hmm. them. They just still need to say they still need to see their day in court. But mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like that's the one thing where the lines are getting blurred is that police officers are trained, you know, to use this force, and that's why they're police officers because we don't want to have just random citizens you know walking around being like oh i have a gun i have the ability to use lethal force like that's why we have these police officers who are given that authority but like you had said it's only when these police you know when someone takes someone else's life or is physically or you know waving it around shooting people with it that's when okay maybe lethal force is needed to subdue this you know 
person or this interaction. And so when it comes to things like um, the Vegas shooter or the Kenosha shooter, it's like, Mm -hmm. why weren't they using their force then? Like, that's when you're trained to use your force. Obviously, in the Vegas, they did. But in these other situations, you don't see them using their force. You see them, you know, trying to use their words to get the shooter to stop or whatever the case may be. Like, all of these shooters who have been mass shooters who are white have been able to go to court unharmed. You know what I mean? And even with the one that they, like, took to Burger King, like, that one just... I always bring it up because, yeah, because it just irritates me so much. I'm like, if that was a black person, he would be dead on sight. He would be dead. And, you know, devil's advocate might say that those were just good cops. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, there are some really good cops out there. And that's, you know, not to say, you know, not to say that there aren't still problems in the, you know, the whole training and stuff, but that's where your idea about vetting comes into play so much. Because yep. you do have to find these bad apples. Like, at, you know, why why are we treating these people with so much immunity if these cops are able to take a person who just killed a church full of people and make him serve his court date? How come anybody else? How come George Floyd was literally suffocated to death? Right. And couldn't serve his day in court for whatever crime they accused him of. It, it's it's these types of things that, you know, in order to build consistency, there's got to be consequences. Exactly. And you know, it. I would I would love to believe that the same cops who handled that church situation, if they had handled the whole George Floyd situation, that would that it would have been just the same. Because I want to believe that they're just good cops. I don't want to believe that they are, you know, just people who supported the killing of several people in that church. Right. Well, yeah. I think I think the um, I think it's hard. I think the, the, the screening process is extremely hard because really, I think the Burger King example is excessive. They probably shouldn't be doing that. But like technically, that's how our system is set up to work is that that person is taken into custody and then serves their day in court and has to face the victims and then, you know, serve their prison sentence problem is with the vetting process right. is that people are not going to show their biases in that training most most people the people who are closeted like racist they know that if they do that they're not going to get hired so they hide that and so makes it forward so they so they make it an extremely difficult to detect that and i think a way to kind of screen that out is continued training so a lot of police officers um they go to the police academy for six months and go through their you know training and you know after the police academy they are they're you know pretty well suited to then go become a police officer the problem arises when they have no further training like how many times do you see like an overweight like out of shape cop like you're not going to be able to do what your job demands of you because there's no you know further training um the navy seals spend one out of every five days that they're on training and the fact which is 20 percent of their time Cops don't do that, even though that they encounter uh, life-threatening and crazy situations, which we can't imagine, suicides, domestic uh, situations, murders every day. And the fact that they aren't, you know, then trained and then, you know, sometimes these biases can then, um, you know, come to light after they go through that police training where they hide it. Um, mm-hmm. That continued training might 
be able to shed light on these, you know, quote unquote, bad apples. But we don't do that. That training doesn't exist. Um, mm-hmm. They like to spend their money on, uh, you know, riot gear and armored Better vehicles guns. and yeah, and other things. And Kenny, yeah. to your point on the surveillance uh, aspect, I agree one hundred percent. And the counterpoint to it is that, well, that prevents crime because then people know there might be a chance that they could get caught doing this. Um, Mm -hmm. The problem with that is, is that if actually incarcerating people and, um, you know, putting people in jail and and other things, um, the United States would be the safest country in the world by far because we Mm -hmm. incarcerate an unbelievable portion of our society. Oh, yeah. But we're not the safest. So that, that, that point's been proven wrong in the definition you know, in our previous podcast we mentioned the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result and we're just so ingrained in this way of looking at this like oh yeah this is what we do we we, we surveil we do this put people in jail and this is how you deter crime and other things like well if that was true we'd have this by far the safest country in the world like it would yeah. be heaven here but it's not so what do we do yeah i think um i love talking about that because I, in one of my classes, it was for domestic violence, and we were talking about, like, domestic violence and how it's handled here in the U.S. versus how it's handled in other countries, and there was, like, a section where there's a lot of the women who are in prison right now are in prison because they kill their abusers, Mm, you know, and, yeah, and they're not, and it's, like, well, you it, like you can't really use the self-defense because a lot of times it isn't in self-defense it's like a planned thing because that's the only way that they can get out of the abuse you know and so it's right. like according to the law um you premeditated this murder so you're gonna be charged you know and it's like these women are put into a jail cell they're not given any mental health you know therapy they're very little because our prisons don't really put money into, you know, professionals coming in and helping them out. Um, They're put into cells for however many hours a day, only allowed to see visitors, you know, whenever. And it's like, it doesn't help at all, you know, whereas in like, if you're pregnant and you're a woman, you are strapped to the bed in handcuffs when you're giving labor. And after you give labor to your child, it is taken from you and, you know, either given to a family member or put into the system. And it's like, could you imagine how much like trauma that brings onto a mom, you know, or a person, even when they do get out of prison, they're not going to be mentally equipped to better their life. You know, that's going to affect them. Whereas in Australia, if you're a woman and you have a child, they, their prisons aren't set up like ours where it's just cells they have little houses like each person gets a little house where they're allowed to have their child there you know they have supervision there that supervises them obviously um but they're taught how to clean they're taught how to cook they're taught how to take care of their child and you know they're they're allowed to have those interactions with their children so that when they get out they have some tools under their belt to be able to provide for themselves and their children you know and it's like prisons are solely a their purpose is to bring in money for the government you know and at first like the whole idea of defunding prisons or defunding the police and getting rid of them I was like whoa wait like there's gonna be like murders on the loose and what are we gonna do to protect or whatever but the more that I read into it and found like other ways to protect society 
and ways to prevent those things from happening in the first place, the more I was like, oh, that makes sense, you know? And the more you learn about how prisons don't help at all, you know, like we saw ourselves in quarantine, like you're stuck in one place and you're not allowed to do anything that it can make you literally crazy. It can make you worse than you were before you came in, you know? So I think that's just a really important point to talk about. I really like how you guys brought that up. What are some of the um, things that you do? You mentioned um, instead of the police and prison system, what, what are some things that you learned or read about that, um, you know, raised interest? Australia system sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. so – the whole defunding of the police and everything, just putting money into other sources such as, you know, mental health, um, professionals, uh, therapists, um, psychologists, things like that. Um, education is a big one. Like our education system is trash in the US, you know, like obviously, yes, we have very smart people here, but as far as public education is like these teachers aren't getting paid anything you know people they're having to go buy their own supplies and stuff like that and it's like education really does help um especially when it comes to learning how to um deal with your own i guess frustration and emotions you know because a lot of times when you're just told or when you see people taking their frustration out by yelling or hitting you're gonna learn you're gonna grow up to do those things and that's when it turns into forms of abuse or, you know, having, giving people the tools to where they know that if I need help, I can go here. You know, if I don't have money for a house, you know, I can get a job here. This is how you get a job, things like that. They won't result to stealing things or robbing banks or robbing people's houses to, you know, sell that to get money and stuff like that. And then it's just like the whole thing with like drugs, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of people who are addicted to drugs, it comes from the pharmaceuticals that are legal in this country, you know, and it's like, it's hard once you're addicted to something, it's hard to get out of that. And of course, your body, it needs that drug. So you're going to do whatever it takes to get that. And that's where the prostitution comes in. That's where the, you know, mugging people on the streets come in, all of that. It all comes from things that are essentially legal in this country, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I, I, don't, I don't know if you noticed, but you hit on every topic that we've talked about in all of our podcasts. Oh, wow. Our, our last <laughs> that we were going to be talking about in the, our next one. <laughs> our last, our last episode was really on the war on drugs. And what you just yeah. said is exactly like what we talked about. I get, I get super fired up about that because that's like another thing where we do the same thing over and over again. We're like, this is what we do. You know, it obviously isn't yep. working. We have this massive problem, but we're going to keep doing it. And it's like, well, well Why? <laughs> And we ignore basic like rules of economics only for this situation because we're scared of these drugs, even though they are substances. Like, it, it's super frustrating to me that there's been no real improvement and actually like a, a, a decline in effectiveness of these crazy tactics that at first might have been, you know, you know, when the war on drugs first came out, it was like, well, yeah, we have some, we have to do something. Let's try this. Obviously, mm-hmm. it doesn't work, but we're gonna keep doing it anyways. Yeah, for over a decade. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, a trillion dollars later, here we are. It's ridiculous. ridiculous. And then your idea um, in regards to bringing more social education to the public education system was actually one thing that we talked about um, when we were talking about just what school should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just making sure that we reform the education, not to teach all of these menial skills, but actually teach life skills and, uh, you know, identifying 
you know, social issues within yourself, you know, just like you said, expressing mm-hmm. frustrations, finding resources, doing all those things. Wow, that was, I, I was just sitting here literally listening to you talk, and it was just episode after episode after mm-hmm. episode. I was like, <laughs> I was like, has she been following us before this? Has she prepared? <laughs> she just did her homework on us and was just ready to blow our minds. That's insane. <laughs> well, I don't have anything else. I don't know if you guys had anything else that you wanted to talk about, anything that is on your heart. <laughs> I mean, I this is a really good conversation. I think I got everything out that <laughs> I wanted to express. Awesome. Anything you want to plug, promote? Um, so I do have another podcast. Um, it's not it's just a little everywhere. It's not really like a set topic. Um, me and my friends just kind of talk about how kind of like you guys getting through life in our twenties and the ups and downs of it and everything um so that's called the candy shop you can get it on or listen to it on apple podcast spotify acre there's like two other sources um and then i also have a youtube channel it's called the harris sisters and it's me and my sister and we just kind of do silly stuff on there just to you know get our minds off of things going on in the real life but um it's really nice uh, she does a lot of fashion tips and styling tips, and I do a lot of, like, curly hair routines and stuff like that. So <laughs> Awesome. Nice. Thank you so much, T. For all of our listeners, we're going to be um, putting some of the resources that she has so graciously shared on her Instagram to the public um, in, our, in the descriptions so that you can also go check those out. You know, just be more informed, be more aware. We'll also be posting links to her podcast and her YouTube channel as well as her Instagram if you want to follow her. Again, great resource for information. Thank you so much for joining us on We Are These Guys Now. You know, we weren't these guys before, but we are now. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love it. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm so excited to listen. <laughs> of course. <laughs>